Well, hey there, everybody. What is going on? Welcome once again to the Everyday Missionary Podcast, episode 251. And for those watching, I know many of you, you listen, a few of you, like 10 of you maybe, you watch, but you'll notice, uh, one, I am not wearing my gym shirt, which is probably the first in over a year, something like that. I, I don't remember the last time I wore a button-up shirt on the podcast, but you know what? I decided for 251... Why not dress up for you, at least for a day? Actually, what it is, is I'm getting ready to go out on a date with my wife. I want to look good for her. I don't want to wear my gym shirt. That's lame, right? So I actually wear, like, buttons and collar and everything when I'm going out with her. That's the first thing. And then the second thing, you'll notice the background is green today because it is a Seahawks game tonight as far as preseason. Preseason number two, it is against the Bears Drew Locke is out. He's got COVID. So we got Gino getting the whole game, I guess. Maybe they're going to bring in Easton. I don't know. But I'm going to be on a date with my wife, so I'm not going to watch that either. So I'm going to have to pick up the highlights another time. But I thought I would pay some tribute by having some green light in the background to deal with this podcast. Now, colors and dress style, not the topic of the day. And the topic of today is not going to be a long one, but I do think it's one that's important to work through and think through, especially as everyday missionaries and how we perceive the world around us. Because that's one of the things I continue to realize, that there is this divide, I think, within Christianity, where some Christians feel very much like the job of the church is to look at society through a critical lens, and in that critical lens, be critical of the society. So uh, they look at maybe culture, they see the lostness, the distractedness, the, you know, again, just the disbelieving nature of culture. And then they kind of think their job is to sit on the sideline of that and be like, oh, Hollywood's sinful. Oh, you know, politics are sinful. The federal government's sinful. You know, whatever the list is, they're all sinful. And there's this kind of critic nature to it, right? Uh, And that's one way to do it. And that's a way that I would disagree with, but it's a way that I see is pretty popular. I see that with certain churches and pastors and books and writers and bloggers and podcasters and everything else, like the job is just to be a critic. And it's easy to do that, right? I remember as a kid, my my parents thought I was going to grow up to be a film critic because I loved movies and I wanted to talk about movies all the time. And I realized that, you know what, being a film critic is easy. Being a film director is hard, right? Because it's much harder to create something than it is to criticize something. And I think it's the same with us being missionaries. It's easy as Christians to criticize, criticize all the different groups, all the different subcultures, criticize all the social woes that we perceive. And it makes us feel better. Like, hey, I'm just here being a prophet, telling them they suck and I'm done and I move on. And yet that's not gospel oriented or kingdom oriented to me. That's really just kind of being religiously oriented. Or maybe in a certain sort of way, it's being Old Testament oriented, forgetting that the Old Testament is written to a single, like, microcosm culture of Israel, right? So within Israel, you have all these people that are part of the covenant of God. Some are not doing the covenant. Some are doing the covenant. The ones that are doing the covenant criticize the ones that are not doing the covenant, but that's totally fine because they're all in a shared covenant. I think what happens sometimes within Christianity is we assume America is like Israel's covenant and America is all under the umbrella of Christianity. And therefore we're criticizing people in a Christian context Well, that is a completely flawed way of looking at it because America is not Israel. We're not under an Old Testament covenant together. None of that works. We're a new covenant people. We are a New Testament people. And with that, we are to come with a gospel orientation, a kingdom orientation, 
and not this Old Testament orientation, right? And I think that's what's going on. Why there's so much criticism is I think we have more of a love affair with the Old Testament law than the New Testament gospel. And I think many people are judging society based on law and they're not trying to love it and reach it with gospel, right? That's kind of what I've been thinking about lately. And so with that, the topic of the day that I want us to just kind of nail down for a minute here is something that at times I've I've received some criticism for. So I acknowledge that I've been criticized for this, but it's a conviction that I have nonetheless. And this conviction has to do with when we get into the New Testament timeline or the New Testament text or whatever else, the question is, did God lower or raise the standard? Did he lower or raise the bar when we got to the New Testament, right? That's the concept here. And I'm going to advocate for the idea that on that question, the answer is, is yes, Yes, he lowered the bar, and yes, he raised the bar. At the same time, both are equally true. And they have different meaning to this, but but I think if you're just trying to be an objective reader, going from the Old Testament to the New Testament, and you ask that question, there should be a part that says he absolutely just rock-bottomed the bar comparatively. And in another sense, he elevated the bar in a whole new yet different kind of way. And so here's the way I want to try to understand the difference between the two. I think when it comes to the ethic of the Old Testament, God lowered the bar. When God got to the ethos of the New Testament, he raised the bar. So I'm using ethic and ethos in a slightly varied function. And and here's what I mean by this. Let's just go back to the Old Testament for a minute and ask the question, did God lower or raise the bar when we got to the New Testament? Well, in the Old Testament, if you or I were to decide we were going to work on Saturday anyway, that was the death penalty, right? So in the Old Testament, if you picked up sticks on the Sabbath to build a fire because you were cold, you were by law to be stoned to death. Well, then we get to the New Testament and Jesus gets all kinds of flack about the Sabbath. And he says, whoa, wait, though, you know, people weren't created to fulfill the function of the Sabbath. No, the, the, the Sabbath was given to be a blessing to the people. And from that, we see Jesus doing things on the Sabbath that were considered unlawful, at least according to his culture, for him to do on the Sabbath. Other people were doing things on the Sabbath. And frankly, today, you and I all do stuff on Saturdays, banking on the fact that we actually think that standard was lowered, that it's not a day anymore. Paul gets into that in the book of Colossians. It's a disposition. It's a spirit. It's our rest in Christ. Even the book of Hebrews chapter four kind of addresses that to some degree, like chapter three into chapter four and part of chapter five. It's kind of a flowing narrative there. But the idea is you and I are no longer murdered, killed, put under a pile of rocks for doing something on Saturday. That's a lowered standard. All right. Or here's another one. Uh, the Bible is pretty clear in the Old Testament about how you address infidelity. In the context of infidelity, people die. You take them into the middle of town, you stone them to death. Everybody picks up a rock, everybody chucks, you die. You get to the New Testament, Jesus comes across this woman who's caught in the very act of adultery. Everybody's got a rock and he's like, whoa, wait, all of you, if if you don't have any sins, please throw away or just chuck your rocks at her if you're sinless. But, But if you've got sin, man, maybe you should rethink this concept. And from that, everybody disperses. And then he looks at the woman and says, hey, where are your condemners? They're, they're gone. They split. I don't condemn you either because they don't condemn you. This is a change in standard. The bar is radically lowered. All right. It's lowered. 
In the Old Testament period, she's dead in the middle of town. Doesn't matter everybody else's sins as long as they're not capital offenses. In the New Testament, Jesus overtly lowers the bar. Here's another example where Jesus is doing some radical stuff, right? You go through all the purity laws of, uh, let's say, Leviticus, whether it be purity laws for menstruation, purity laws for uh, sexual contact, purity laws for dead bodies. There's this clear sense that if you have contact with those different things, you're impure by touching or having some interaction with those. But then you get to the New Testament and Jesus is touched by a prostitute. Jesus is touched by a woman with a blood flow. Jesus touches a dead body more than once. And it's not an impurity, right? It's not an impurity because there's a shift and the bar is being displayed as lowered. So the ethic of the Old Testament when you get to the New is dramatically reduced and it's reduced in all sorts of ways. I mean, ways that we're grateful for even as people today, right? We're not getting kicked out of our churches because we're wearing polycotton blends, but you would get kicked out of the camp if you did that in the Old Testament. Uh, right? I, I've been candid. I have a gay son. In the Old Testament, I would have had to kill my own gay son because that was the standard of the ethic of the law. But we get to the New Testament and we're really, really grateful. But that that is not the standard by which we operate anymore on these premises. And so I'm using dramatic ones, bold ones, obvious ones, ones that are even troubling to give us a sense, a framework that when I say he lowered the ethic bar he lowered the ethic bar on many, many things. Now, that doesn't mean that the many, many things don't still have a sin context. The idea, though, is the repercussion, the action of, the thing that we're called to do to, to maintain a sense of justness or whatever, those bars are dropped. So that's why you have 613 laws in the Old Testament that were tough to catalog, tough to live, tough to do, and frankly, everybody was violating those laws on a semi-regular basis, but that was the law, right? And the ethic was the law. And if you were to be a good and godly person, you were working overtime to do all of those laws and trying to step into that. And there are many of those things that if you didn't do them, you lost friends, you lost family, you lost community, you were removed or you were executed, right? All sorts of things would go on in that context. Or there's even some other laws that are diff differently troubling. Like if you were to, you know, be a female that lays with a male that you didn't really want to do that, but you kind of got sucked in into it or you were forced into it and now you must marry the person that did that to you. Those are ethics in the Old Testament law. There's many laws that we look at and we go, man, I don't even know how to wrestle with that. And from that, we are grateful for the New Testament where the standard was lowered, right? And that's what it was. It was lowered. That's why in the New Testament, we don't have capital punishment. We don't have execution. It's why the church doesn't have the ability to be like, sorry, we just found out that you were having an affair. So now we got to take you out back. And you know, like you can't do that because something changed. But in the change, what I'm going to say with that is while the ethic is lowered, the consequence of the, the, the things that are cataloged in the law are lowered, the ethos is elevated. And we see the elevation of the ethos in like the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus is like, you know, you, you heard it was said, do not murder. He goes, but can I help you? Man, don't even hate a person, right? Don't call a person a name because that's the spirit of murder in your heart. 
Or you heard it was said, do not commit adultery. But now I'm letting you know, if you have a sense of lust in your heart for a person that is not your spouse, uh, it's the heart of infidelity. Don't do that. Or, or, or you heard it was said you could, you know, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I'm telling you, man, no, you want to love your enemies and do good and pray for and all of those kinds of things, right? So he gives all of these different ideas where he's showing an elevation of ethos, something deeper, right? And that that's the thing that we want to contend for. In other words, what is changed is in the old, the ethic was very much the law, but in the new, the ethos is the love. So in the old, it was about rules. In the new, it's about a sense of grace and a deeper desire to connect with the heart of God, have that heart of God bring flourishing in our own lives, and then we want to bring flourishing to others so that when we then look at the world around us, we're not looking like Old Testament Israelites judging other Israelites, which is what I think is going on when Christians judge the world around us so harshly, but rather we're looking as people go, you know what? I've been saved by a grace that is so transformative and is so melting of my pride and so melting of my sense of ability to attain or ascertain or whatever else. I I, I just want to share that and see the world through that lens so that they can understand and see that too. So in one sense, they are freed from all of the ethics that we cannot fulfill, but they are moved into an ethos that we very much can enjoy and want to impart to others. In fact, I see the spirit of this shift in John chapter 1. When it says, and the word became flesh. So remember, it starts off in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and the word becomes flesh. He dwells among us and it says, we have seen his glory, the glory of the only son of the father, full of grace and truth. Jesus bore witness about him and cried out this way. He says, of whom has he ever said, who comes before me, ranks before me, even before he was, right? That's not the important part. The important part is this. For from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. That's verse 17. And that's the most important centering point that I wanted to get there to in in this particular podcast. Law came through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus. And I think too often what is happening in some quadrants of our shared Christianity is that there's a lot lot of Moses, there's a lot of law, we're looking at a lost world through that grid, we're acting as though the lost world is like living in kind of a new modernized Israel and therefore we're condemning them. But instead, we need to realize that, no, 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 we're here to be ambassadors of grace and truth. We're here to live the ethos of the higher standard and not try to emphasize the ethics of an old standard, right? Because we have been released from the standard of the old. We have been moved into the ethos of the new. And that ethos of the new is this idea of saying, I'm going to center both on grace and truth. And when I say that, I know sometimes we go, yeah, truth, that goes back to law, right? Like that's what we mean by grace and truth. We're going to give grace and we're going to make sure everybody knows just how broken they are by way of the law. Well, there's another truth. It's a much more simple truth. And the simple truth is uh, if we center on love, we're fulfilling the law 
Paul says that more than once, right? That's really the essence of even Jesus's message in the Sermon on the Mount. Hey, you want to do yourself a favor? Do unto others as you want them to do unto you. That is all the law and the prophets, right? So Jesus doubles down on that concept. Paul reiterates it more than once. And it's my conviction that if we do that, if we're truly loving, that is the highest display of the truth. In fact, going into next year, I'm going to preach through uh, the epistle of 1 John, which is all about love and action. And, and that's so much the center point of this idea. Grace is how we are, how, how we understand our relationship to God. And therefore, from that, grace is the thing that we are to transport into the lives of others. And then truth, the greatest way we share and reveal truth and live truth is we love. We love God with our own lives. We love others in the name of God because God has loved us in this way. And when we love in grace and truth in that fashion, we're not going to look at our world and see it in condemnation. We're not going to sit there and judge it, be angry at it, mock it, tell terrible memes about it, whatever else. We're going to break for it. We're going to weep for it. We're going to care about it. We're going to say that our conduct really matters to reaching them because when our conduct is poor, it turns them off. Therefore, we want our conduct to be good and healthy and right so that hopefully they're turned on to what it is that we are living. And the way we do that again is we live the ethos. Yes, the ethos is higher. It means all that stuff we see in the Sermon on the Mount, Sermon on the Plain, Fruit of the Spirit, definition of love. That's the higher ethos. And in that, it means we reserve judgment, we reserve our criticism, we, 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 we are cautious about the statements that we make that are earthly and worldly and political and monetary and everything else because we know that that can get in the way. And instead, we want to care about the main thing being the main thing. And the main thing is that we are being like Jesus, we are being loving like Jesus, we are being gracious like Jesus, and we are realizing that, you know what? The ethic has been lowered, but the ethos has been raised, and we must model that ethos if we're to make a difference. I think that's where we have to plant our feet going into the future, and we have to plant them uniquely hard because we have our fellow brothers and sisters out there that are not helping our cause. They're a little bit more wrapped up in how do we make America, again, this this kind of Israel 2.0, how, how do we get everybody to realize that this is a Christian nation and by that what they kind of mean sometimes I think is a Hebrew nation more than a Christian nation? How do we get back to the rule of law? How do we get back to justice as we understand it as opposed to how do we magnify love and grace and what real truth is, which is owning what it means to love. That's the real definition of truth. And that is something Jesus reinforces time and again and he calls us to do the same right? The world's going to know we are his by our love, right? For one another and by our love for a world that he loves so much he came to rescue. And I believe the more we can do that, that we can die to ourselves, we can live in humility, that we can magnify grace and magnify the truth of a life lived well in the context of love, loving those who are unlovely, loving those who don't love us. The more we do that, you know, we're going to be more effective everyday missionaries.